Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check chatter like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amitelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this weekend of f- f- uh, Friday. Excuse me. I'm in, I'm in a goofy mood to start this show already. Friday, December 15th. The year 2024, the weekend of Friday the 15th, Saturday the 16th. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss and a lot to do today. Uh, Brandon Staley gets canned, and rightfully so. I mean, you would, I mean, about two, three, about two years and three seasons too late. But nevertheless, Brandon Staley says goodbye. I get into the Lakers raising that, raising a banner for that asinine playing tournament. I get into them a little bit later on. Tyler Glass now, uh, what a scrub he is. I mean, the idea that Tyler Glass now all of a sudden is going to make the Dodgers some great big rotation when he can't get anybody out to save his life. Uh, and furthermore, not and not just against my Baltimore Orioles, go look at his numbers in the postseason. Look at his postseason ERA in his career. I mean, it is, it is disgusting and unforgivable how bad he is. Uh, in the postseason, but we'll get into him, the Dodgers signing him, adding him, trading for him, and then giving him a contract extension. We'll get to that as the program progresses. And week 15 in the National Football League, some marquee games on the slate, uh, beginning with my Bengals taking on the Vikings on a Saturday, a triple header on the NFL Network. I'm outside of my game, of course, being played, and it's weird having a having a early afternoon game played in a window of exclusivity that's not a playoff game that would be a different change of pace also hearing the great kevin harlan do a primetime game on television football game that is for a change he'll do the broncos and the lions game on saturday night which is the one game outside of my team that's playing is the one game that i'm really 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 looking forward to like to the point where if you told me I had to be away from a TV, you know, during the out in between eight and eleven o'clock at night on uh, on sat on Saturday night. I'd be very, I'd be upset. I'd be very disappointed. That's how much I'm looking forward to that game. Seeing both of these two teams, the Broncos, and I would now listen. If it's me or the Bengals going to the playoffs, obviously the Broncos be the sacrificial lamb. But I would like to see Russell Wilson and Sean Payton get back to j- playing January and coaching January football again. And of course, you guys know how much I'm rooting like hell for the Detroit Lions to succeed and play well. Uh, so I'm very looking forward to that game come Saturday uh, evening as well. And then you also got the games on Sunday, uh, Cowboys and the Bills at, 4, at 425, 4.30. Ravens-Jaguars on Sunday Night Football and an intriguing Monday Night Football game between the Eagles and the Seahawks with the Eagles uh, maybe potential trouble in paradise with them and the Seattle Seahawks, their season is on life support. And boy, wouldn't it, wouldn't it just... Uh, stick with the theme of chaos in this football season. If the Seattle Seahawks, uh, whether it's with Drew Locke or Geno
Geno Smith come out of nowhere and upset the Philadelphia Eagles and hand them their third consecutive loss and and win the win a thriller 34-31. Wouldn't that be something? But anyway, we'll get to that. Week 15 picks against the spread and others as the program progresses here today. But where we will begin is Brandon Staley. Thank God. Thank the good Lord he is gone. Brandon Staley got fired, canned, thrown out on his ass at noon Eastern time today on Friday after that disgusting, grotesque, embarrassing, egregious, shameful, putrid, vomit-inducing, ass-kicking, ass-kicking that the Vegas Raiders unleashed on its football team last night in which the halftime lead, not the full game, the halftime lead was 42 to nothing. 42 to nothing. Aiden O'Connell threw for four touchdown passes. Threw four touchdown passes. Devontae Adams caught eight passes, 101 yards. Tucker, two touchdown passes. Jacoby Myers caught a touchdown pass. Mr. Mayor. Not Oscar Mayer, but Mr. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Michael Mayer caught a touchdown pass. His second of the 23 NFL season. The halftime lead was 42 to nothing. The Vegas Raiders who got shut out at home by the Minnesota Vikings just one, one, two, three, four days prior. Got shut out at home by the Minnesota Vikings four days prior. Dropped 42 at the half and scored 63 points for the game. The most points ever given up in Chargers franchise history and the most points scored in Oakland slash Los Angeles slash Las Vegas Raiders franchise history. I mean, and I give you my reaction to him being fired in a minute, but me reacting to that game, I mean, what what more do you want me to say? What more that needs to be said? There, I'm at a loss for words. I'm at a loss for words. You there's not enough words in the English dictionary to describe how bad, how stupid, how incompetent, how lost, how delusional and arrogant Brandon Staley is and was at his job and as the NFL head coach. And you guys, not to say that anybody, you know, said this, but you but the notion if there was anybody that had this notion that I was exercising in hyperbole when I said, quote, Brandon Staley is the dumbest human being I have ever seen man the NFL sidelines as a head coach. I, I say what I mean, and I mean what the hell I say. I stand on business on what I say. I, 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 I You think I was joking? I wasn't joking. Straight up, the dumbest man I've ever seen man the NFL sidelines. You can go all the way back to 2021, week 18. You tie the Raiders, you make the playoffs. You lose, you're out. Instead, he somehow screws up 
a 32-32 tie with 38 seconds left. He calls a timeout, allows the Raiders to, to regroup and navigate themselves, gives them life, and, and Josh Jacobs and Derek Carr and Rich Passaccia say to themselves, well, damn, he gives us life. We might as well have an opportunity to get into the playoffs and knock them out. What the hell do we care about the Pittsburgh Steelers? And they win the game in overtime, 38-32. We can talk. We can go. We can talk about week eighteen, earlier this calendar year of last season. Nothing to play for. A road game against the Denver Broncos, who had a disgusting, awful season. Nothing to play for. They can't. They can't. Uh, they can't win a division. They can't move up in seating. Nothing to play for. They send out uh, Mike Williams, who, if I'm not mistaken, played with some lingering injury of some sort with his with his leg. It was either an ankle, knee, something along those lines. He plays them in a meaningless game. He gets hurt. He can't play the next week against Jacksonville. Fast forward six days later, the Jacksonville game. They had a 27 to nothing lead at halftime because Doug Peterson, uh, J- uh, Trevor Lawrence, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. 27 to nothing lead. Justin Herbert's th- flinging the football left and right. Trevor Lawrence is throwing to the wrong team. Interceptions and touchdowns galore all over the place. 27 to nothing lead. The defensive savant, known as Brandon Staley, blew a 27 to nothing lead and got outscored 31 to 3 in the second half. And the Jacksonville Jaguars won the game 31 30 in the first round of the playoffs of last season. I mean, what, what, I mean, shall I continue? And then the work one and then one of the more feeble offenses in the league with an interim head coach who scored zero points to the Minnesota Vikings just four days prior. Sixty-three points. And I don't want to hear any excuses about Herbert being hurt. Listen, I am known as one that does not I somewhere fall right in the middle. I don't give Herbert 100% of the blame, nor should you. I don't think he is the lone, sole, sole 100% reason for the cause of the Chargers' shortcomings. Now, is he, now can you make the argument that he's a little bit overrated, that his skill set isn't as strong as, you know, Joe Burrow's, for instance, and is he as good as a quarterback of Joe Burrow? No, he is not. And you can make the argument that Herbert's overrated, but I tell you one thing. Herbert doesn't play defense. Like I look at I look at the I look at the thing with Herbert. The Vegas week week 18, 2021. Was that Herbert's fault? No. The collapse against Jacksonville? Absolutely. He deserves as much blame as Staley. Them two, one and the same. There's equal amount of blame 50-50. The debacle last night, Herbert injured, gone for the season, broke his index finger. Can't blame him for that. You can't blame him. And, and the other games, when when the Chargers' uh, defense was out the lunch. When they let the Ravens win a game they had no business winning a handful of weeks ago, Thanksgiving weekend on Sunday night. He, losing that on the road earlier this season to the Tennessee Titans. And I and the Spanos family and the Chargers were sold a bill of goods that this guy essentially is, is, a, is a more analytical Bill Belichick, so to speak, in terms of how he thinks, his decision-making, and, oh, my goodness, he's got a great defense, this, that, and the third. No, no, he doesn't. 
since when has it been since when has it been proven that he's been some great defensive mastermind? And Mike and AOC tells me on Twitter, well, you know, he was a good DC when he was here. Mike, 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 wait, wait. When you have a roster with Mark to the likes of Marcus Peters, Jalen Ramsey, and oh by the way, there's Aaron Donald. I mean, come on. And if you think not, oh, he's some great off he's some great defensive coordinator, some great defensive mastermind. And I guarantee, matter of fact, let me go up and let me let me look. His his their defensive rankings in 2020 is last year there. Okay. Now I understand that they've had they've had some good defenses and some great defensive players, but the Rams defense has never been to the likes of has never been to the likes of the Steelers, the Ravens, the Saints back in their heyday as being some great defense. I mean let's I mean let's let's I mean granted they were okay fine first in points allowed, give them that first first in points allowed in 2020, I give them that, give them that. Now if you want to go ahead now in. They they had okay good defense in twenty twenty, congratulations, twenty nineteen how were they? I mean if I'm not mistaken wasn't he the head coach that gave up the fifty piece to the uh, gave up the fifty piece to the Kansas City Chiefs in twenty eighteen? Twenty eighteen their Super Bowl season they were all their Super Bowl season, they were middle of the pack. Bears had a better defense. Packers had a better defense. They gave up in they they gave up thirty two points per game in twenty eighteen. Thirty two points per game, thirty two point nine. So you might as well round it up to thirty three in twenty eighteen. You want to do twenty nineteen? Twenty nineteen. Let, let's 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 take a look, shall we? Twenty nineteen. The Rams gave up. 24.6 a game. So his final year, he had one one good year as the DC for the Rams under McVay. One good year in 2020. One. Did they make the NFC Championship game in 2020? No. No. The defense went got went to Lambeau and got their teeth kicked in by Aaron Rodgers, won the MVP that year, if you remember correctly. One good season, and he gets the job. 2019-2018, yeah, they went to Super Bowl, and his defense was middle of the pack. Jared Goff had a phenomenal season that year. And I find it no coincidence that the first year they don't have Staley as the D.C., what happens? Oh, they win the Super Bowl. So the idea that Brandon Staley some great defensive mastermind, I don't want to hear it. Because it's not based in fact. It's based in mirage and smoke and mirrors and fabrications and favoritisms and all and all this other, other goofy shit. I don't want to hear it. He never has been. And in my humble opinion, never will be some great defensive coach, some great defensive mastermind. He's an idiot. He foolishly is over-aggressive with his decision makings, when to go for two, when not to go for two, when to punt, when to kick the field goal. When, you know, it, it, he's, he's a mess. He's a mess. Doesn't know what the hell he's doing. They always think he's the smartest guy in the world. You can stop asking that question. I'm, I'm going to continue to call it defense. You can stop asking that question. Well, Brandon, I hate to piss on your bonfire, 
but the only defense yo ass is going to be calling is in Madden 20 is in Madden 24 playing freaking franchise mode or some shit that's the only defense you yo ass is going to be calling is on Madden 24 on your on your damn PlayStation 5 I'm I'm go yeah, and you're gonna continue to call the defense. A defense is gonna continue to suck. It's gonna continue to stink. You're gonna continue to not be able to stop the run. Add infin add infinitum. This has been a common theme. Mr. Great Defensive Genius, great defensive mastermind. Their defense is marginal at best and offensive at its worst. They have never, ever, ever since he's been there been able to stop the run. He can't manage a game clock. His timeout managing is atrocious. He doesn't know when to go for two instead of taking the easy point and taking the easy field goal when it's appropriate. He chases points. He goes for it inside his own 30, inside his own 25-yard line, a la the Cleveland game last year and the Minnesota game earlier this year, and he doesn't get it, and then he wonders why everyone is up, up in arms, kicking and screaming. He's all over the place. His defense stinks, and he does not have the mental. He just doesn't have the intangibles. Would be a better word for it. Does not have the intangibles to be a successful NFL head coach. And when you question him on it, he gets defensive. He acts like he's the smartest guy in the room. He gets defensive. Well, how dare you question me? I'm Brandon Staley. Give me a break. What are you, Belichick? You're not Belichick. Hell, you're not Buddy Ryan. You're not Marvin Lewis. You're not Dan Quinn. Defensive coordinators from elite defenses that have won championships in their history, and you ain't one of them. You're sure as hell not Belichick. You're not Don Coryell in terms of being a solid head coach for the Chargers franchise, and you don't have the rap sheet of Marvin Lewis, Buddy Ryan, uh, hell, even Steve Spagnolo or Dan Quinn. I mean, I'm not even saying those guys are elite coaches, but at least when you go to those guys, when you go to those gentlemen's resume and what they've done as a defensive either head coach or a defensive coordinator, I can see that they've had some levels, some levels of success. Marvin Lewis, as a head coach, took took his teams to the playoffs consecutively consecutively from 2011 to 2015. Marvin Lewis can say that he is the head coach of arguably the great or the defensive coordinator rather of the greatest defense the NFL has ever seen in the 2000 Ravens. Dan Quinn can say that he was the DC for the great for the greatest defense that the NFL has seen since the 2000 Ravens. Buddy Ryan has the original with the 85 Bears. Staley has nothing. His defenses with the Rams never won a damn thing. And when his team did get to Super Bowl in 2000, in 2018, they didn't, they didn't get there because of their offense. They got there because of the defense. Their offense had a bad night. What? They lost the game, what, 13-3. So I want to hear it. Some great defensive coach. Stop. He was actually with the Bears in 2018, which makes it worse. He was with the Rams only for one year in 2020. He was with the Broncos in 19 and the Bears in 17 and 18. 
which makes which further vilifies my point. Wish I would have known that before I went off of that tangent. But you get the idea. What are the what did the Bears and the Broncos win in those three years? I understand it was positions, coach, but let's call it like we see it here. D DC under McVeigh for one season and he gets the job based on what? Because he graduated from the Sean McVeigh uh skinny stooge uh, gum chewing school of stooges of coaching stooges, Stooge University. Where we all, you know, where every single one of somebody that comes out of the McVeigh coaching tree, you know, looks like looks like they run a target or something. I mean, come on now. Defensive with the me, I mean, it's just he deserved to go. And if there was the, and if there was no bigger sign and more ominous sign and more. Just b enormous, unignorable sign that he needed to go was the game last night. Aiden O'Connell looked like Ken Stabler last night. Devontae Adams looked like he was catching passes from Aaron Rodgers all over again. Defensive mastermind, and they dropped 42 points on the Chargers defense at the half. Not for the game. At the half. At the half. And I got to hear about Brandon Saley being some great coach. Give me a freaking break. Stop it. And, the, and you Charger fans out there deserve better. The fans, the few of them that they are in San Diego, or excuse me, in Los Angeles, the ones that still claim them in San Diego and all over the country, you guys deserve better. Justin Herbert deserves better. And us as football fans deserve better. Because it is, it was downright infuriating to see this bum, this scrub, this stooge, this joke of a football coach tank a team's expectations and tank a team's uh, 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 potential because of how painfully he, incompetent he was at his job. And the bad defenses is only scratching the surface. The, ba the bad defenses under his reign for in the 21 22 and three fourths of the 23 season that don't that's only the tip of the iceberg only the tip of the iceberg again that's not taking into account the Mike Williams thing the choosing not to play for the tie in the Raider game. The bad defense is only is, is, is only scratching the surface. So it's only the first floor. God knows what the hell else is in, is in that proverbial basement. But he deserved to go. And Telesco, the GM, who, I mean, has been, and shout out to my buddy who I used to uh, work with at Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, Danny, who, uh, who I still DM and who I talk to all the time. He's a huge Chargers fan. He DMs me the information all the time of how bad his drafting 
was in his decision making. Let me see. Um, let me see. Uh, pull up some stats from uh from uh from the GM's drafting. And another thing too, how does Staley also after the game sit sit up there and say, "Well, I deserve the coach's team because of X Y." He gets asked, uh, "Do you think you should still be the head coach tomorrow?" And he goes, "Yes," and he stands up there confident because of X Y Z. Well, I understand, you know, to defend for yourself and not to basically throw yourself out the door. But given his track record, and then after that embarrassing debacle against a division rival on national television, how in the world do you with? How does a person with sense sits up there and say, "Well, I deserve to. I deserve to still have my job." That's like you as that's like you as a younger kid or whatever. You get your driver's license and you go out joyriding with your parents' expensive car, BMW, a Dodge Charger, Corvette, whatever it is. Middle of the night, go joyriding. You crash it. You total the car, and then your parents sit up there. <clears throat> excuse me, sit up there and ask you. Well, do you think you deserve? Uh, do you think you deserve to? Uh, you know, to not be punished, or do you think you deserve? Uh, you know, uh, to have a car of your own at a young age. I mean, you would ha you would at least think you would have enough self awareness and read the room to the point where you've done so much damage that it's almost like it's a rhetorical question. The answer to it is so simple yet so obvious. It's like you you've you've made it you've made it so, you've dug such a deep hole for yourself. You it's it's impossible. And you'd be a fool to sit up there and insult your own intelligence and lie to yourself within and then tell the other and then tell and look at the person dead in the eye that asked you that specific question. Oh, yeah, I, I deserve to keep my job. You know, good and hell well, you don't. And if he thought after that again, he still deserved to be employed. That's a separate conversation altogether. And then he says also after the game, well, quote, games like this. Excuse me. Games like this happen in the NFL. Brandon, just because the Dolphins hung 70 on the Denver Broncos back in October doesn't make it a consistent thing that happens all the time. That's what you call an anomaly. That's what you call an outlier. It's not the norm. Teams to score in the 60s and in the 70s in an NFL game. High school, college, that's one thing. In an NFL game, that doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen every year. Let alone twice in the same year where teams score 60-plus points in the same season. Just because it happened once in a blue moon with the Dolphins and the Broncos back early in the... I mean, I guess that had to be what he was going for when he said this because I don't understand how anybody in their right mind, I don't care how long you've been around football in terms of being a coach or you played in the NFL or not, there's nobody that, that, that has an ounce of football knowledge says, thinks and believes that. No coach, no player, no director of personnel, no GM, no team owner, no fan, no broadcaster, no beat. There's nobody in the sport. Nobody believes believes what Staley says and would even concoct that idea in their mind for them to regurgitate and say to the media for it to get quoted. Now, nobody. Again, college. High school, 
different conversation where so many different players, there's the, there's a bigger discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots. NFL, it's all one big uh, smorgasbord of the best football talent there is in this country, which is one of the reasons why we say all the time, any given Sunday, because you never know on any given Sunday, on any given day, game day, a group of professional football players, even when you look at roster up and down, 1 through 53, and look at the win-loss record and everything else, and look at their their placement in the standings, it doesn't matter. It, you just never know. One day, a, a group, a, a, a collection of, a, of, a, of professional football players on the active game day roster, could have a better day than the same group of guys that's on the other side. That's on the other side of the other side of the field. That may be inferior or superior to them. You just never know. So for him to well, yeah, games like this happen in the NFL. Yeah, 40, forty-two to nothing final score. That's one thing. Forty-two to nothing at half. It's something totally different. Totally different. And the GM has hit on quite a few players. Herbert, of course, being one of them. And he squandered on others. Per example, Quentin Williams. Drafted him over the likes of Jordan Addison, who's bowling in Minnesota, and Zay Flowers here in Baltimore for the Ravens. And he drafts a guy that can't catch. Nothing left to say. So the GM deserved to go, and Staley, like I said, he is, in fact, the worst. The worst. The dumbest Human being I've ever seen man the NFL sidelines. And it's and it's not even close. Not even close. And all him getting fired midseason did was prove to me how much I was right. Because he ain't because he he's awful. Awful. I mean he's a, he Mac he drafted Max Duggan. He's off the fifty threes on the practice squad. Xander Horath, Larry Roundtree, Mark Webb, Trey McKitty off the roster, Matt Scott, Matlock, Brendan James, Isaiah Spiller, JT Woods, and active players. Uh, I mean, you look, Rashawn's, I come on. Tuilata Tulapotu, Josh Palmer. I mean, come on now. Come on now. So, huh, that, that that's that's we saying with the Chargers, boy. They they are they are an organization that is a piece of work. Tom Telesco, Brandon Staley, out the door they go. And by the way, when it comes to who who you gonna pick for the hires, okay. I want if you're the Spanos family, don't fall for for the status quo cheap ass. Who who is he? What is his name? You know, nameless gray faces to quote Tomlin 
you know, to, to get the coordinate as a coordinator from either your own team or from outside. Don't don't pick one of these scrubs to be your next head coach. Don't I don't want to I I don't want to see Kellen Moore be the head coach of of the of of the Los Angeles Chargers. I don't need to see it. Nor do I do I want to see it. The Chargers need a Bill Belichick, a Mike Tomlin, or since he lo- or since he loves them so much, Jim Harbaugh. Him loving Herbert, that is. That's what you do. You go out there and you give Harbaugh a blank check. You scoop Belichick out the second he's no longer collecting. A, the second his key card doesn't work up in Foxborough. And you hit your knees at night and you pray that the Pittsburgh Steelers cut bay with Mike Tomlin and you give him a job offer. The Chargers need a, need a, a head coach and need a man that is going to be taken seriously in that locker room, that knows how to win, that has won before, that has that can say to himself, hey, I, I have coached in a Super Bowl once or twice on Belichick's case nine, more than that, a dozen times in my life. That's what they need. They can't have some nameless schmuck you know that they, you know, like Kellen Moore or 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 the coordinator up or the offensive coordinator in Detroit, or they can't have that. They go, they go to my team. They interview, you know, Lou Anarumo, who I love, but come on now, concrete name. And you don't want to necessarily do it because it's going to attract headlines. It's going to get a lot of attention. Oh, look at us hiring Bill Belichick. No, you hire Bill Belichick because he's the right man for the job. You hire Bill Belichick because he's won. He won't tolerate crap. He won't blow 27 to nothing leads in playoff games. He'll sit his players down when he knows he has nothing to gain, especially if if he's going up against a team that he knows good and damn well he won't face at any point in time in the playoffs. He'll play for the tie if it means the team will be better for it in the long term, a.k.a. getting into the playoffs. He'll play for the tie. He won't call a timeout. He won't go for it on fourth and five inside his own 30-yard line. Tomlin, similar ordeal. And Harbaugh loves Herbert, and wouldn't you want to not not necessarily placate, but wouldn't you what want what's in the best interest of your franchise quarterback who you just forked up a ton of dough to? I would. I would. But would the Chargers go from here to play out the rest of the regular season going to the offseason? They're moving their pretend for their next head coach. I'm intrigued to see. And knowing them in typical Charger fashion, they'd find and invent another way to screw it up. Let's see if uh, if they don't. And if they're smart, they should have Bill Belichick on the first plane ride for an interview. What what is that? January 9th. The the Patriots final game is January the eighth. Belichick needs to be on a plane for a meeting for the head coaching job come come Jan- come the morning of January 9th. Even if even if the reports of him being fired after this season's a bunch of malarkey, still do whatever it takes to get him to be your next head coach. 
In the case with Tomlin, hit your knees and pray to the Pittsburgh Steelers, let him go. Orchestrate a trade for him or yeah, you you can't go into 2024 with Herbert back healthy with a no-name unproven former coordinator as your next head coach. They tried it with Anthony Lynn, it didn't work. They tried it with Mike McCoy, it didn't work. They tried it with North Turner, and it didn't work. They need to get a, a find a concrete proven NFL head coach who when his who when he he is in the room and his feet are standing on the floor and he's talking, the whole room shuts the hell shuts the hell up and listens. A guy that's got presence. Not a no name, you know, guy that you gotta Google. What's his name? What, what Brandon St- where where the hell did he come from? No, no, no. For the next charge the head coach, I shouldn't have to do a Google search to look up his coaching history. You say Bill Belichick, you say Jim Harbaugh, you say Mike Tomlin, you don't have to do that. Brandon Staley, what a, he is the worst. The absolute worst. Sticking with the city of angels in L.A., this is a joke. And I and listen, I am proud of myself because I did not pay attention to this dopey tournament. Not one bit. Not one bit did I pay attention. Did I tune in and watch the games? Did I waste my time talking about it on this show? I, I'm I am proud of myself that I did not waste my time with that asinine, dopey, confusing playing tournament with the M- with the NBA that concluded about uh, about a week ago. I am so glad I did not waste my time. And it is a joke. An absolute joke, travesty, and another disgrace. How in the hell does the Los Angeles Lakers franchise, a city that goes back into the, into the 1940s, the 1940s in Minneapolis, how in the hell does the Lakers franchise get off on raising a banner for winning the stinking play-in tournament. This is a team that's been in L.A. that's been a staple for the L.A. sports and L.A. pop culture scene since 1960. They have won one, two, three, four, five, six, Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve titles. They have seventeen in all, including their Minneapolis days. Twelve of them have been since they've been in Los Angeles. They have nineteen conference titles. Nineteen conference titles. Thirteen retired numbers to the likes of Kobe and to the likes of Kobe and Shaq. And James Worthy and Jer and Jerry West. Okay? The storied Lakers. The storied Lakers and Pau Gasol and Wilt Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor. Gail Goodrich. George Mikan. Magic Johnson. And yet, these stooges, whether it was Jeannie Buss 
or LeBron James's idea decides it's a brilliant idea to raise a banner for winning the asinine play-in tournament? Are you freaking kidding me? You kidding me? Like, this is not the Suns, the Magic, the Wizards, the Indiana Pacers. These are the L.A. Lakers. They are the Yankees of basketball, the Cowboys of basketball. They move the needle. They are a polarizing team that transcends the city they play in, that transcends the NBA, that transcends sports. The Staples Arena, the Forum in Inglewood, the Showtime Lakers of the 1980s, their dynasty years of the 80s, their dynasty years of the late 90s and early 2000s. Magic to Kobe to LeBron James. And we're raising a banner to celebrate and a, a playing tournament. Are we kidding ourselves here with this? We kidding ourselves. These are the Lakers. Shouldn't they have higher standards than, than this? Shouldn't they have higher standards? For a franchise and a fan base that debates and has a rivalry with the Boston Celtics, 17 and 17, and the Celtic fan says, well, in reality, they really have 12 because the Celtics have been in Boston our entire reign in the NBA. We have 17-1 all here in Boston. Five of the 17 for the Lakers belongs in Minneapolis, and only 12 in their L.A. Tinseltown Laker history is theirs. And it's about championships. It's about playing in the playoffs. It's about making and playing it and winning and dominating in the NBA Finals. It's about dominating and winning in the regular season. The great players that have played throughout that franchise and throughout its illustrious history from the 60s and 70s through the 80s and then in the mid-late 90s with Kobe and the early 2000s with Shaq. And now for the last five-plus years with LeBron James, and as of recently, Anthony Davis. This is a franchise that, I at least I thought, had standards. That had a high, that has, that has high standards. That has a commitment to excellence. A franchise that you would anticipate if you walk through the door, at their facility, you'd see a poster that would say the likes of winning isn't the isn't everything, it's the only thing. The championships on display. That attitude like the Yankees have, where we're the New York, like the Steelers have. We're the Yankees, we're the Steelers, we're great. We focus on winning championships. The goal and the expectation is winning championships. And if you ain't in line with us, or you're not a fan or a part of an organization that can be in the same room of conversation with us when it comes to having a consistent commitment to excellence and a long legacy and a long resume of winning, I ain't got nothing for you. And yet they're going to raise the banner to celebrate a, a winning a play-in tournament championship. 
I, you, you, I mean, you have, you, I, it is so laughable and so much of a joke. Anybody that's affiliated with the Lakers, whether a player, a fan, or the damn janitor that cleans the bathroom at the Lakers facility ought to be ashamed and embarrassed, embarrassed by that and ashamed of themselves, whether it was Silver, Ownership, LeBron, whoever it is, I could care less. That's a joke and an utter disgrace and a pure embarrassment. That's embarrassing. You're the L.A. Lakers with all of those championship banners hanging in the rafters at the Staples Center. And, oh, by the way, here's some goofy, just mundane, out there banner to, to celebrate a, a stupid playing tournament. Are we kidding ourselves here? A playing tournament. And then to make matters worse, here's LeBron and the team spraying champagne on each other, and here's T-shirts and hats and gold medals for winning the whole thing. Who cares? Just go. It just goes to show you how far the NBA, how far the NBA and society itself, how moist we've gotten, and how far we've fallen. Because uh, because uh, that's a joke. This participation trophy, weak ass, moist society. It's gotta freaking stop. handing out trophies and raising banners for, for winning a fake playoff tournament, for winning a fake fraudulent Fugazi championship. I wish I had the uh, the the cut. Matthew McConaughey, Wolf of Wall Street, I'd play it for you. What a joke. And then here's LeBron spraying champagne after the game. I mean, come on! This is a guy that I, that I, this is a guy that I gotta that I gotta listen to get compared to Michael Jordan. I gotta listen to oh yeah, LeBron's the goat, goat James, goat James, the goat, the goat. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. I gotta listen to this crap and see this crap. I got to listen to this. How do these people make these asinine arguments of why LeBron James is the better basketball player, is the greatest basketball player of all time over Michael Jordan? I got to listen to this. And he's spraying champagne in a locker room in December like he won something. It's a joke, man. It's an absolute joke. And they're gonna sit up here and raise the banner. Oh my God! I mean, and this, and all I got here, we're the Lakers, and you're not. With 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 the with that 
confident, arrogant mentality that the franchise has and that the fan base has. We're the Lakers. We stand for something. You're the Oklahoma City Thunder. You're the Indiana Pacers. You're the Wizards. You're the Suns. You're the Mavs. Well, the Mavs have Mavs have a But you get the idea. We are the Lakers and you're not. The, ma- the magic. We're, we are the L.A. Lakers and you guys are not. Even with the Golden State Warriors, who in the last decade have been a much more successful and arguably more re- more of a relevant franchise in terms of them being a great team, that's appointment television, than the Lakers are, and they give it to Warrior fans all the time. We're the Lakers with, with the 12 to 17 championships and, and, the, and the slew of great players throughout many generations, and you guys are not. We're Los Angeles. You're Oakland and San Francisco. You're, you're peons. I hear it on it. I hear it on Twitter with Twitter spaces with the Twitter spaces and the different fan bases getting in the arguments. We saw it this past spring when they matched up in the playoffs. I hear it. I see it all the time. And that's what the and that's against a team and a fan base that unlike them has won in in the last decade. That's one more than they have. And yet, we beat, uh, put put up put, put up a banner. Are we? Uh, at what point? When does it end? And at what point does the insanity and the hamster wheel of Fugazi, egregious, fabricated bullcrap end? When does it end? When will it end? When does it and when will it end? Fugazi, it's a fake. Yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's never landed. It is no matter. It's not on the elemental chart. It's not fucking real. (laughs) Said it best. Fugazi, Fugazi, it's... Fairy dust never existed. It's never landed. It is no matter. Not on the elemental chart. The damn thing just ain't real. Like that playing tournament. Not real. That quote unquote NC's tournament championship. Not real. A fake, fraudulent, made up, artificial championship. And the L.A. Lakers of all franchises are going to commemorate it with raising a banner. Lord have mercy, have, have, have we as society, and sports is just a microcosm. Boy, have we fallen off, and boy, have we gotten soft. It, 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 it's downright disgusting, shameful, and utterly embarrassing. No, no wonder people can't take it seriously, because good Lord, oh my God, God help us. Save us, please. Anyway. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. You just, you can't, you can't make, you can't make it up, folks. You just, you couldn't make it up if you tried. Can't make it up. You can't make this shit up.
You can't make this shit up. You can't. You can't, you can't, you can't. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, with How about Tyler Glass now? He is now, he got, uh, was involved with the trade between the Rays and the Dodgers earlier this week. He is now going to be another arm amidst the top of the uh, of the Dodgers rotation, along with Walker Bueller, Bob, Walker Bueller, excuse me, uh, Bobby Miller, Ryan Yarbrough, and Emmett Sheehan. They're uh, starting five as it stands right now in early De- in early to mid December. But um, so the Rays shed payroll. What else is new? They'll still find a way to win ninety games. And uh, be a thorn in the Orioles' side, as per usual. But it's not like that that the Orioles missed out on. Op- I saw some tweets on the Orioles' opportunity to to get Glass now goes by the board. Why the hell would you want Tyler Glass now? A team that the Orioles always killed, and a guy that that's next to Kershaw with the, actually worse than Kershaw with having the worst playoff ERA since 2019 with at least 25 innings pitched. So I saw a few Orioles fans that was upset. That they miss an opportunity to get on glass now. Good. Why? Why do we? Why do the Orioles of all teams need need a starting pitcher that's going to cost them a pretty penny, who's going to do nothing but serve up batting practice when it matters in October? We already have that. You don't even have to pay as much for it. He was awful against. He was awful again in his in his three starts against Mariners this season. He had an eight point two two ERA, giving up fifteen runs, fourteen of them earned, fifteen hits. Pitched 15 in the third innings, struck out 20, and had a whip of 1.56. So if the Dodgers want to want to trade for him and then give him a nice, healthy Bay raise to boot, let him. Let him. Boy, the Do- did I tell you something right now? If the Dodgers are going to live to hear about it, if they don't find a way to get back to the World Series and win it this upcoming season in 2024. Because the way it stands right now, why why anybody in their right mind when all Shohei's going to do is hit, and it's not like that hit, and hitting was not there. I mean, granted, did they hit in, in the NLDS against, um, against Arizona? No. But what took them out of the series against Arizona and the primary culprit of why they lost is because it couldn't is because they couldn't pitch. They couldn't get guys out. So adding a guy with an ERA in the in a postseason to 2019 in Glass now with an ERA of 5.72 is going to be the answer is going to be the answer to the Dodgers' problems throwing Shohei hitting you know getting three to four at bats every game and he can't pitch. Because he's got Tommy John surgery. And God forbid something goes wrong when he's running the bases or up at the plate. And you take and then you take his you just take him out the lineup and take him off your team for the 24th season entirely. The Dodgers the Dodgers are setting themselves up to have to, to get mocked and rid, especially with the whole deferred payment thing with uh with um Otani, where he's only going to be making $2 million this year, they are setting themselves up to get mocked and ridiculed from hell and back to hell and back if they don't find a way to win with all of of the noise they've been making early in the offseason, if they don't find a way to win the World Series. 
Not only will they hear about it, they'll hear about it loudly, and nobody, and I mean nobody, will let them off the hook for it. Nobody. And if I'm a Dodger fan, I'm not sure if I like that a lot. Because you know going into the season, and certainly going into October, all the pressure will be on this team to win a World Series championship. Anything less, it just adds to the, it. Just adds another book in the chapter of regulars of of uh, of the six month normal April through October baseball season. It just adds another uh, chapter to that to uh, to to of a failure for that franchise in when you know in their last thirty five plus normal baseball seasons. It'll just add another chapter, and everybody, and me included, will laugh at them and make fun of them and roast them like a Thanksgiving Day turkey if they don't find a way to win. I don't care who they play in the postseason. Hell, I don't give a damn who they play in the World Series. They 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 could play the they could play the the twenty seven and the ninety eight Yankees in the World Series for all I care. They better find a way to win. And if they don't, they will hear about it loudly from everybody. They will hear about it. So, and I am not subscribing again to the idea that Tyler Glass now. I understand it's still early in the off season, and it's and it's not the final. Obviously, nothing with their roster is final. You know, in mid December, and we're still in the in the heat of the off season with it being the first full month of the baseball offseason with it with the World Series being being uh concluded in November but let's let's if the Dodgers think that Tyler Glass now is going to be the answer to all their prayers they got another thing coming he's he's got a you have a worse postseason ERA since 2019 than Clayton Kershaw that's a recipe for absolute disaster. And again, the guy gets knocked around the ballpark, has his moments, has his good starts, but when he's bad, he is awful. And the last thing the Dodgers need is another pitcher that implodes when he isn't having a bad night. That's the that's the last thing that team needs, especially on in the bright spotlights of October. They need they need that. Like they need that, like they need another, like they need another uh, pitcher on the shelf with Tommy John surgery. Like, which they had a ton of this past season. But yeah, glass now to the Dodgers. All it does is, all it is, is maybe just, uh, it takes away a couple of wins against the Rays for, you know, for my Orioles. So they, you know, they don't have they don't have the opportunity to beat the to beat up on them and 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 uh, and hit them out the stadium like they used to. So it, that's all I look at it for me. Maybe maybe less wins against the Rays this year, because the Orioles were absolutely phenomenal in games against the Rays when Glassnow pitched. When Glassnow was on the mound, you knew that the Orioles' bats was was going to get their licks in before the 27th out was recorded. And if you're a member of the NL West that saw this, that got news of this trade and got news of the contract extension, you got to be saying the same thing. Arizona, the defending National League champions who beat them in the postseason last year with all that young talent we saw that displayed itself in the NLCS, 
Cor Corbin Carroll, Cattell Martin, all of them, you're saying the exact same thing. The exact same thing. But so the Dodgers, they get richer, uh, and uh, the Lakers <laughs> hanging that asinine banner. What in the hell is has the Lakers franchise? the NBA, professional sports, and sports and society in general. What the hell has it come to? We're now raising banners for forgot for Fugazi championships. Really? For a franchise that cares nothing in the world but uh, than, than winning championships. It's winning championships and then it's everything else. They care everything and more about winning championships. And here it is. We're going to put the hang the, the playing tournament. We're going to hang the banner up in the rafters. Well, we'll have it a different color. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, make a, have a, a visual, uh, you know, we'll, you can see the, ver the, the visual difference, the, vi the, the visual difference. And make and make and make the uh, and make the disassociation from the championship banners from the NBA finals that we from the, from the NBA finals championships we've won. We'll we'll make the we'll make the uh, the different the uh, the noticeable differences and changes be between the playing and the NBA. Why is it even up for discussion to get to be even within the same hundred foot radius of the of the real championship banners to begin with? And I don't want to hear all the argument. Well, the, well, the Lakers are the same franchise that have statues of all these great players outside the arena. How in the hell is that the Lakers' fault? Some teams in their franchise history, they have one, two, three great players. And maybe one or two of them get a statue. What is it, the Lakers' fault that they have the, the, the NBA's greatest, that the greatest players in history of the NBA have played for their franchise? Wilt, Jerry West. Kareem, Magic, Worthy, uh, uh, Kobe, Shaq, LeBron. J what is it? The what is that? The Lakers' fault? If the player wants to play for the Lakers, play wants to play for the Lakers. And if and if they choose him, whether it's through the draft, the free agency, or via trade, that they want player X to be on that team, and the and the player that they either traded for drafted or signed to free agency turns out to be a great Laker and contributes to them winning championships and in, and puts together a Hall of Fame Lakers career, are you going to get mad at the Lakers for putting their jersey in the rafters and giving them a statue outside the Staples Center? And furthermore, it's apples and oranges. The, the reason why the players have those statues is because of the real bona fide championships they won for the Lakers organization. Not this garbage. So it's apples and oranges. Even if you were to make it an apples to apples, oranges to oranges argument, it still doesn't hold any weight because they won real championships. Not this Fugazi bullcrap in Vegas. I'm never going to let that go. It bothers me. And any Laker fan worth their salt should feel the same way I feel. Because this is that's a damn joke. What a joke. 
We switch gears back to the National Football League. Boy, what a stacked Week 15 slate we have with three games on Saturday and then, of course, the regular Sunday slate into Monday night between the Eagles and the Seahawks. Five games to pay attention to as we come down the home stretch of the NFL regular season for 2022. Hard to believe how fast this season's flown by. But it's week 15, and be sure to enjoy every last minute of it. We will begin with my Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday, excuse me, Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Let's do the Vikings first. Listen, I thought the Vikings, and I bought into the... The uh, Josh Dobbs mania hype uh, with that tremendous run with the four-game win streak when they were clicking on all cylinders in the month of October after the uh, heartbreaking Chiefs loss, beating the Bears, 49ers, Packers, Falcons, and Saints. And then it came to an abrupt end in heartbreaking fashion on November 19th on the, with their Sunday night loss to Denver. I said, okay, well, you know, it happens. One bad play. Uh, you know, one, you know, one point was the difference between winning, between a loss and a tie and two points was the difference between winning and losing. It happens. They got the bears next week. They could bounce back. And then the Monday after Thanksgiving, they, so they subject America to that disgusting, uh, just toilet bowl of a football game. Uh, at home against the Bears, where they lose the game twelve ten, despite the fact them being the only team in that, or them being the only team in that game to score a touchdown, they lose the game twelve ten. Josh Dobbs wasn't very wasn't very good in the game. They go into the bye week with two losses uh, in the final closing seconds of uh, of their aforementioned back to back losses. Bye week chance to regroup, refresh. And then come out uh, with all, all systems go for the Vegas Raiders in their building on Sunday afternoon. And then they have another. They have back-to-back. They've lost three games. and They've lost two out of the last three. They beat the Raiders despite the fact not scoring a touchdown. Josh Dobbs gets benched for Nick Mullins, who will be the starter for them against my Bengals tomorrow afternoon. They're currently sitting at 7-6, second place in the NFC North, and still within striking distance of stealing the division from the Detroit Lions, who are 9-4 and four and can't get out of their own way themselves. They currently, as things stand right now, are the sixth seed in the NFC playoff picture with holding while holding the the second out of three wild card spots they are three games back of Philly for taking the fifth seed uh in the in the NFC in the NFC wild card race they uh are two only uh, only I believe a game no two about I think game and a half two games back of the Rams Seahawks Falcons and Saints who are all currently sitting at six and seven, Vikings seven and six. Meanwhile, Cincinnati, you know their deal. Uh, Bro gets injured in a Raven game on November on November sixteenth. They lose that game thirty four to thirty. And in the span of five days, all of the good mojo and the good feelings and the good vibes of the Bengals four game winning streak uh, in the month of October after their embarrassing twenty seven to three ambush at Tennessee on uh, October the first in Nashville. After that. They go out there to beat the hell out of the Cardinals. They put together a nice four-game win streak. Burroughs officially, you know, he makes him, he says, he tells the media, and it's also 
via, via the eye test. We learned that Burrow's back to being himself 100%. They fought around against the Texans. They fight back and win a game that they should have had, albeit the fact that they were asleep at the wheel for the majority of the game. They lose the, they lose the game courtesy of a uh, of a Amanda Laura, Matt Amanda Laura game-winning field goal at the gun. It happens. It sucks. But, you know, you beat the Ravens and you get that first victory against your division rivals all forgiven. And then they they take, they get punched in the face. They come back and with, a, with a nice return punch when Burrow leading would end up being his final drive of his season and ends it with a touchdown pass to Joe Mixon. Bengals take the lead. And then we learn Joe Burrow's going to be lost for the remainder of the game, and then we learned the afternoon of the day after, on that Friday afternoon, that he would be gone for the uh, that he would be gone for the rest of the re- he'd be gone for the rest of the regular season. Then you t- factor that in; they have about ten days plus the Thanksgiving holiday to cook up an idea of how they're going to beat the pit- how they're going to beat the Steelers to bounce back. Jake Browning for start, this, that, and the third. And the offense, you know, puts together one drive. Browning plays okay. The one interception was the backbreak in the game. Bro, or excuse me, Zach Taylor, again, he only runs the ball eight times. Makes me pull my hair out. And it's like, okay, the team stinks. They're not going anywhere. Lose the game 16-10 and loses a three in a row. And their season essentially is in the toilet with a five and six record. They go into Monday Night Football. Uh, I, uh, like I have stated at infinitum leading up to that game and recapping that game after the fact, thought this team didn't have a chance in hell to win the game. They win it 34-31. Browning has only has five incomplete passes throughout the entire game. Those over 300 yards and a touchdown pass. The one being to, uh, J- the one being to Jamar Chase on a third and short. They win the game 34-31, get back to a, get back to the 500 mark. Then a game if they, if they still wanted to keep their slim and dying playoff hopes alive. They had to beat Indianapolis, a team that they would have that they would uh, be in the race with for a wild card spot in the AFC uh, wild card race. They needed to win that game to win the tiebreaker. They go out there, they uh, they play, have a good first quarter, have a good first quarter, spotty second quarter, at least to close, at least to close to close out the second quarter. And then in the second half, they come out and they punch the, uh, the Colts in a proverbial face with back-to-back drives that end in touchdowns. They blow out the Colts and win by 20, 34-13, putting together back-to-back 34-point performances. They currently sit at 7-6. and six. They are in last place in the division by three games, only one game behind uh, Cleveland for second place in the North. And in terms of the wild card positioning, they are the 10th seed or the 10th team in the, the no such thing as a 10th, as a 10th seed, but they're the 10th team amongst the AFC uh, standings one through one through uh, 16. They have to leapfrog the Broncos and who have a better conference record. The Texans who have tie, who hold tiebreaker over Cincinnati and Indianapolis, a team that they had, that they beat on Sunday, but yet they have a seven and six record because of uh, because they have a better conference record at five and four compared to Cincinnati's three and, compared to Cincinnati's three and six and obviously Cleveland and Pittsburgh have Pittsburgh who also has a seven and six record same thing they have a conference record of five of five and four with the tiebreaker as of this moment with their game against Pittsburgh a week from from this upcoming Saturday looming large and then of course Cleveland who's the five seed. At eight and five, who beat Cincinnati to begin the season way back in the month of September. 
So you have two teams that uh, thought and when things were clicking and when things were going just right in the month of October, and that's throwing into the fact that the uh, that the Minnesota Vikings uh, lost Kirk Cousins for the season in the Green Bay game uh, due to due to an Achilles tear. So you have two teams without their star quarterbacks, uh, without their star uh, starting quarterbacks that uh, were feeling good and were playing great football, beat the 49ers, both of these teams did in the month of, uh, in the month of October, had a rough November and are, and are starting to get their sea legs back underneath them with a 7-6 and six record trying to make it 8-6 and six and to see if they can catch lightning in a bottle and put together a, uh, a great final uh, month of the regular season and hope and pray that it's good enough to get them into the playoffs in their respective conferences. Uh, the Vikings need I, my take on the Vikings in this game. Again, uh, Brian Flores' his defense has done a has done a uh, has been has done wonders for the Minnesota Vikings this season. A complete improvement. For, I mean, just think if you put Brian Flores' his coach defense for the Vikings last season. Who knows how far the Vikings ended would end up going in the 2022 season last year when they won those games via the miracle finishes and everything else. But Brian Flores has done a has done a very good job with the Minnesota Vikings defense. They pitched a shutout last week, gave up only 12 points to the Bears. Their game before that, they kept them in the game and had Russell Wilson uh, had Russell Wilson uh, with, with his head on a swivel. And held the Broncos in check during points and periods of their 21 to 20 loss in mid-November. Gave up 19 points to the Saints, 10 points to Jordan Love, uh, 17 points to Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers on that Monday night in that Monday night win back in late October. Third, they gave up 13 points to the Bears on October 15th. Uh, they did a solid job keeping the Vikings in the game that got stolen from them by the refs on October the eighth. Excuse me, against Kansas City. I mean, the defense has is not you know it's not one of the best in all of football, but it has made strides and it's had and has shown significant improvement from the defense of last season in 2022 to the defense here in 2023. And you give Brian Flores to DC all the credit in the world for that, and he does deserve to be a, to have an NFL head coaching job within a not so immediate uh within the excuse me within the immediate future in terms of the offense with the minnesota vikings they got to be able to score points and listen you can call it a mirage you can call it a product of the system whatever it is the bottom line is in order to beat the cincinnati Bengals, you got to be able to score points if you look at the Bengals and how their season has gone in terms of the in terms of the points scored by their opponent you know uh the 34 points against the ravens you know 34 they the they gave up 34 points. Ravens beat them. Gave up 27 points. The Texans beat them. Uh, they, you know, 27 points with the Titans. 27 points to the Ravens. Uh, you know, 24 points against. I mean, very rarely, very rarely, you're going to score. For a perfect example, 16 points in the Steeler game and 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 win and beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Very rarely. Now watch me say that, and they out there, and they lose the game seventeen ten. But very rarely do you lose. Do you beat the Cincinnati Bengals scoring in scoring in 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 the in the teens? Very rarely does that happen. When to beat the Cincinnati Bengals, you gotta you have to bring. It's not even that you do. You have to bring your offense. 
And with this recent showing with Jake Browning and how Zach Taylor and Callahan have made the game easier for him, have made the game plan simpler for him, they've played to his strengths and have not basically fit the square peg into the round hole of what Joe Burrow does best, it's no. With the playbook that we have, Jake, what do you do best? We're going to adapt the game plan to you. Burrow's not out there. You are. We're going to adapt the game plan, adapt uh, my play calling if you're Zach Taylor to you and what you do best to help us move the ball downfield as quickly and as effectively as we can get your confidence up and that's what they do and I think a lot of coaches you know can learn from Zach Taylor in the aspect that they give Jake Browning the easy plays they give they get they give him the easy check downs the easy uh, short, uh, quick pass uh, plays. You know, have the receivers. You know, not have uh, start out with not such a complicated uh, route tree to start the game. You know, hitches, drags, curl routes. Uh, you know, they he loves calling them as much as I can't stand them. But the screens. You know, let's let us have Browning start out the game quick. Start out the game efficient. You know, let them start the game three for three, four for four, five for five, seven of seven, eight for eight, ten for ten, ten of ten of eleven. Let me get his complete percentage up there and have him go on a nice little hot streak of completed passes to get his confidence up, to get a little bit of a rhythm going, to get the offense in good spirits, to get him confident in their ability. Okay, if we're executing the simple stuff and we're getting the simple stuff, the small things and the little things right from the get-go, then that sets the table for the complex plays that we want to call with the co- and, and sets the table for the big plays we want to have uh, come to fruition later on in the later on in the football game. And that's what Zach Taylor and Callahan, to their credit, they do. They 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 don't bite off more than they can chew. The baby steps first before they go into a full on sprint. Uh, so that and that's what they've done tremendously with Brown, and I expect no different from them tomorrow afternoon. And they've done a good job of reintroducing the run game to to the Bengals' offense, and not just not. And obviously, Joe Mixon with his production has increased since Burrow's been out. But we're really, in my opinion, ever since the Raven game, Joe Mixon was getting was a was a huge point of emphasis offensively, even in the Raven game before Joe Burrow went down. So for essentially the last what was that game, November six sixteenth, seventeenth, for really the last month, Joe Mixon's touches and his action and 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 the amount of times he touches the football has gone up. As the seasons moved along, and and they've also re, and they've also introduced Chase Brown into the uh, has introduced Chase Brown into the offensive uh, into the offensive uh, act as well, which you love to see. Like I said, you look at all the the uh, talented and high scoring offenses in the National Football League that more likely than not are compete are compete are completing and competing in well not complete not completing but competing in playoff runs they have a one two punch at running back the Ravens the Lions uh the Ravens the Lions you you know the Philadelphia Eagles albeit they don't run the football as much as they should um they have the the Bills to a lesser degree they have running the Texans they have running backs 
more than one that they can rely upon to not just run the football with authority and to milk the clock, but also running backs that can catch the football out of the backfield, that can pass block, that are great open field runners, runners, excuse me, and you see what it's done for the Bengals' offense since they've been going to the Chase Brown, uh, Joe Mixon combination from the backfield. It keeps the defense honest. It keeps some balance. It provides some. It provides an element of of uh, of variety within the offense and within the running game. And I like it. And as long as the Bengals do what they've been doing, and that's taking care of the football, and and no, you know, none of the crap I saw in the Jacksonville game, and none of the crap I saw in the Pittsburgh. game, Game. You just you don't bite off more than you can chew. You let Jake Brown and Cook, when the opportunity presents itself, get get your confidence up early with with the quick, easy pass plays and the quick, simple play calling to start the game for Jake in the, in the passing game. Have the run set up the pass, not the other way around. Under center, play action, play action, bootleg RPOs. Keep the offense fresh and keep and and and. and, and you want you want to you want the variety within your offense. You don't want it to get too vanilla, too predictable with with your play calling and in turn your decision making. And I think if the Bengals do that, on top of the fact that at least in my opinion they have a better roster than the Vikings do one through fifty three, albeit the fact that they have the same record. Bengals have home field advantage. This should be a game that the Cincinnati Bengals should win. I mean, if there's any game that I like that I like the Bengals' chances heading into, out of this now being uh, Browning's third start, it would be this game. But they, but they should be able to hand, they should be able to handle business uh, in this game coming up tomorrow afternoon. Now, do I anticipate the? Uh, do I anticipate? The Minnesota Vikings lie down and die and hand the Bengals a game. No, they're a competitive team, a scrappy team, a scrappy team that uh, a scrappy team that when before Kirk Cousins got injured was was able to find a way to beat the San Francisco 49ers, albeit at home. But on Monday Night Football, they were able to find a way to beat the San Francisco 49ers, a team that's head and shoulders a much better team with a better roster and a better coaching staff than the Minnesota Vikings. So it is no given and it is no guarantee. So the Bengals have to be on their game, on their P's and Q's, execute on third down. Uh, I can't see the crap I saw on Sunday. You know, Tanner Hudson, when the ball is thrown to you, my guy, and you reach out for it, you reach out for it to make the catch. You don't reach out for it, give a half half ass uh, attempt at catching the football, and all of a sudden it's a pick, it's a pick six and a seventeen point swing. Uh, another thing I don't want to see is, is undisciplined penalties. One of the key penalties in the second half that gave Indianapolis a little bit of, of momentum heading into the halftime locker room was the fact that Trey Hendrickson gifted the Colts a first down after an incomplete pass because he, for whatever the reason, decided to shove Gardner Minshew in the back a whole 15 seconds after the ball came out of his hand. That that yeah, that's when they call rough in the passer for basically breathing on the quarterback. He can't then in turn. Shove the quarterback in the back. Well, after you know, a whole five seconds after the ball's been out of his hand. While it's in, a, while if it's in the motion of him throwing the ball, that's one thing. But you can't. He throw the ball comes out of Minshew's hands, and here's Hendrickson that gives him a nice little love shove. You know, right on the back of his jersey. You can't you, that, that 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 violent, playful shove. You know, using your forearm or extending your arms outward. That that's not that's not going to fly, and the dumb and the dumb undisciplined plays like that is how you get beat. 
and it's how you lose football games. So you got to eliminate that. You got to be able to, if your defense, your Louisiana Rooms defense, get off the freaking field on third down, especially on third and long. You can't have, uh, you can't, uh, allow the Vikings to extend drives and to extend plays. It's just, it's just not, it's not going to work. It's not going to, it's not, it's not going to work. This team like Cincinnati's playing for something as well. Uh, they're playing for their, they're playing for this season. They're playing for the playoff lives and the Bengals can't screw around and play with their food. If the if the way that the, if the Lord willing, if the game plays itself out to where it looks like Cincinnati could have a big day, and could put their throat on 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 the Minnesota Vikings and put the puppy to bed early, or again, it looks like that they could win comfortably by by at least two scores. They have to carry it out and play for a full sixty minutes, not not twenty five, not not thirty, not thirty five, not forty, not forty five, not fifty five. A full sixty minutes. So and 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 listen, if the Vikings deliver the opening punch instead of Cincinnati, they got to be able they got to be able to eat the punch and and deliver and deliver a knockout and deliver a rebuttal punch in, in their own right. If if the if the Vikings are the ones that come out swinging and are unintimid and are unintimidated by the crowd and the environment and the noise and everything else, then Cincinnati's got to be able to get off the deck and respond. You know, if they're not able to run the ball as early and as effectively as they want to, listen, don't, don't, as, as long as the game stays close and you identify it early in the game, early enough in a game, stick to your guns, don't abandon it, make the necessary adjustments, but don't abandon the run, don't give up on trying, and, because you just, because you never know how to, how the football game's going to play out. So, and just the basic stuff of not being able to turn the football over, score touchdowns in the red area instead of field goals, the, I like the Bengals' chances of winning this game. I, re, I really, 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 really do. Uh, game number two, the Broncos and the Lions at night. Man, this, this is this, this is this is this is something, man. First of all, I I don't know about you, but I am extremely thrilled thrilled at the fact that. For basically, I think the first time in his career, if I'm not mistaken, we will be able to listen and have the opportunity to listen to Kevin Harlan call a game, call a football game in prime time on television. You know, he does prime time games on the he does prime time football games on the radio. But as we all know, in 2023, radio is nothing like is nothing like TV, especially when it comes to live sporting events. It's nothing like, especially when it's within the sport of football. Especially, there's nothing like TV, and we see him, you know, get the primetime games for you know the college basketball when he does the when he does the NCAA tournament, and of course basketball doing the NBA. But it will be a treat. Because CBS, because CBS has such slim pickings with their schedule on Sunday, uh, CBS allowed the NFL Network to poach their three team, uh, him, Trent Green, and the very, 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 very gorgeous Melanie Collins to broadcast the game uh, in Detroit for Bron- for Broncos and Lions. I'm man, I'm looking forward to sitting back and hearing Kevin Harlan with the ha- knowing that the entire country. Is listening because Phil, you know Jim Nance. We hear it all that not Phil Simms, but Jim Nance, obviously Tariko for years. The Monday Night Football now Sunday Night Al for decades. 
uh, Joe Buck, you know, for Fox, and then now, of course, the voicemail. Now it is the it is it, it's the perfect time, especially also considering that Kevin Harlan doesn't do any doesn't do any playoff games for CBS. Once Week 18 comes along, you won't see Kevin Harlan broad, broadcast the football game on TV again until the following September. He does to the NFL, you know, on radio through the Super Bowl, but but we but once Week 18 is gone, that's the last time we turn on the TV and hear Kevin Harlan's voice doing broadcasting a football game. So, and I know, I know, it's probably personally for him, he is stoked, and if he isn't, I'm stoked for him. Because I, I hope that he gets a gem of a football game, and because I know he's going to bring it. And if you guys know anything about me, man, you know how much. If you know how much I love Mad Dog Russo, you know. Take that; it's it's duplicate. I love Mad Dog, as you guys know. I look up to him when it comes to doing this, and with in terms of the radio format. And I love Kevin for every for the for the exact same similar if not similar reasons for what he does in the play by play booth broadcasting games. Man, his, his energy, his enthusiasm, his voice. I mean, it's just it's the there's a special touch on a football game when you hear him broadcasting a game. You know, he he likes and he has that. And I, and I say it all the time. If there were two voices. Two voices I wish I could have at any point uh, that I would that I could that I could have for a day, and the two voices in humanity that I am jealous of with the great radio voice that people walk up to me and tell me that I have all the time. Two voices. The first one is, um, all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank on who the first one is, but the second one is Kevin Harlan. If I could have anybody in broadcasting's voice for a day, it would be Kevin Harlan. Because he has like, he has like, he has a, he has a relatively, it's not like a baritone. Oh, it's Alan Roach. That's what it was. Two people I wish I could have their voices for a day. Alan Roach, the great public address announcer for the aforementioned Minnesota Vikings and for the NFL special events, you know, the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl and everything else. And Kevin Harlan. Kevin Harlan has a deep voice, but it's not like a deep, a, a deep bass, uh, Ving Rhymes type of voice. It's like a, it's like a deep voice, and he kind of has like, like Doggy a little bit, where he kind of has like that quick cadence where he, where when he normally talks or if he's like he's reading something it sounds like he's an auctioneer, he's an auctioneer at an auction or something. Like he'll go, uh, he'll go, um. First and ten for Jared Goff for the Detroit Lions. Jameer Gibbs the back. Goff steps up. Looks, throws, he's got Amara St. Brown over the middle. 35-40, 40, 45-50, 35-60, and he's down inside the Carolina 25-yard line. First and ten for the Detroit Lions. Like like that, like the, his his cadence, like when, when he, when he, when he, when he Calls a game like that. I was I've been enamored by it ever since I was a little kid, and I'm looking forward to hear him and seeing him get the get the prime time. He's in basketball, it's on, but it's been a few and it's a rare opportunity you get to see him have the prime time. I understand it's Saturday night instead of Monday night or Sunday night, but it's it's going to be great, and it's arguably the best game on the Saturday slate. 
certainly better than Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, and arguably better than Vikings, Cincinnati, because you got the two starting quarterbacks in that game, and the Vikings, or excuse me, the Detroit Lions are the one team out of the six that are playing that are in, that are in first place. But it's going to be great to see him get the uh, to get the prime time spotlight. I'm certainly looking forward to it. But in terms of the game itself, this is a going to be a very very good entertaining football game. The Denver Broncos, man, they are and give them credit. Man, they seven and six. They have found a way to. Excuse me. They started season one and five. Now they're seven and six. They currently, in terms of where the playoff uh, seating and where the playoff standings preside, they are the aforementioned uh, ninth team in the AFC. Uh, in the AFC, excuse me. They do not hold tiebreaker over the Colts and the Texans for uh, who are currently sitting at eight and seven. Because of the fact that they that the Texans and the Colts have a better conference record, Colts at five and four, and the Texans at four and four. Denver has a four and five conference record, and this win obviously would not help their conference record, but would improve their overall record at eight and six. Uh, they, the Denver Broncos, are coming off of an impressive victory over Brandon Staley's offensive, disgusting, grotesque Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium on Sunday. Their first road division victory, their first road division victory in quite some time. Meanwhile, the Detroit Lions are at nine and four. We talked about it on Wednesday of the concerns that I have for the Detroit Lions going forward. Their defense has been uh, has been very suspect, to put it nicely. Jared Goff has has resorted back to to his tooth out to his. Uh, to his uh his his his, his two thousand and uh and ni- and nineteen form when he is and his twenty sixteen rookie form when he was just awful and offensive turning over the football left and right not making the throws not completing uh passes and scoring touchdowns and leading his team down the field throw in the fact that you can make the argument if you know when you observe the Vikings closely and you kind of. You know, look at them through the microscope that that swagger that they had throughout the early parts of the season, even in their victory against the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, that that moxie and that swagger that they had at the early parts of the season, at least as of the as of the moment, has temporarily disappeared or it's not as strong and not as potent as it was in the past and I want to see the Detroit Lions I want to see them get that swagger back because this is a team that's nine and four still in the driver's seat and still the favorite to win the division and if they can I would just hate this for, for I just hate for them to retort to old Lions stereotypes and to retort to old Lions heartbreak losing football fashion and find a way to blow this division that they arguably should you know should I mean they they should be the they should have been out of all the teams look at that are in first place among the divisions across the NFL they should they should have been the first team to to win their to win their division the first team the Packer the Packers with Jordan Love were a sieve early on in the season the Vikings were <clears throat> The Vikings cooled off heading into November. They lost Kirk Cousins, uh, throwing the fact that the Bears are just awful. I mean, so and then I was sitting at nine and four with teams like the Vikings and the Bears still mathematically with a real legit chance to steal the NFC North from the uh, from the green from the uh, from the Detroit Lions. As a matter of fact, I heard uh, the guy, um, what's his face, Steve Kornacki, 
the uh, the MSNBC political analytics guru who now makes his appearances on Football Night in America on NBC during the month of uh, December during the playoff push. I believe if I heard him and I'm reciting this correctly, he said the Vikings are in a position where they don't even need help to win the division. They don't even need help to win the division. They don't need the line. If if the Vikings have now ha- obviously having to play Detroit, specifically Detroit plays Minnesota on Christmas Eve, week 16 next week, and then they end the season in Minnesota on January the 7th, which by virtue would give Detroit two losses, all the Vikings have to do is win out and the division is theirs. That should not be the case for for the Detroit Lions team that did not get its, that did not collect its second, which did not collect its second loss of the season until late October, and did not and did not collect its second in conference loss of the season until November twenty third on Thanksgiving Day. I see. I mean, they just they got to be able to pick it up and play better. I got to see the Detroit Lions take care of the football. Jared Goff finish finish drives, throw to the right team. I got to see the run game, which has gone away a little bit, uh, has gone away a little bit in the last month or so. I got to see the running game reestablish itself and be a point, uh, be a potent emphasis of attack offensively for the Detroit Lions. Execute on third down, execute in the red area defensively with Detroit. And what I'm interested in, what I'm intrigued, uh, what I'm intrigued in seeing from them on their uh, account is is their defensive pass rush versus the Denver Broncos offensive line and Russell Wilson. We saw in the Texan game with Denver, if you pressure Russell Wilson, not just pressure him, but pressure him quickly and effectively, like as soon as the ball is snapped, your D linemen are right there in his face and you're getting him off his spot and you're flustering him behind center and getting him the force throws and, and, uh, and, and, and getting him the force passes uh, ill-advised passes downfield that lead to interceptions. If you do that, the Detroit and give your def- and give your offense a short field, you're, you're going to win the football game nine times out of ten. I'm intrigued to see how uh, how Aiden Hutchinson lines up against the uh, lines up against uh, Denver's uh, forces in the trenches tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to see how he does in terms of when he has an opportunity to get his hands on Russell Wilson. How Russell Wilson will adapt to his game. Uh, and and how free and if an opportunity will present itself for Aiden Hudson to take over this football game, and if he does, it spells game over for Denver. Forget it. But the number one player in the X factor I want to see on the field tomorrow night is Aiden Hutchinson against the Denver Broncos offensive line. And if he's able to disrupt Russell Wilson and disrupt the offense's rhythm and is able to wreak havoc and take over the football game, I like the Denver I like the excuse me, the Detroit Lions chances tremendously. And I think that's where this game's going to be won. In the trenches, pass rush versus pass rush, my offensive line against your defensive line and your offensive line against my defensive line. And if the Lions are able to win the battle at the line of scrimmage, run the football, uh, establish the uh, tempo of the football game, and then in turn wreak havoc on the defensive side of the football with Aiden Hutchinson and the defense shows up and forces some Russell Wilson turnovers, throwing the crowd noise with it being a primetime home game for Detroit, their second one of the season, I like the, uh, I like the Detroit Lions' chances of winning this game. A whole hell of a lot, but for Denver, I want to see. I want to see him. Uh, I want to see him show up. 
I want to see him uh, punch the Lions in the proverbial face early in this game and say, listen, we're coming in here and we ain't scared of you. We're not intimidated and we're coming in here to take your soul, take your heart, and you ain't going to have a damn thing to say about it. So I want to see the, the Denver Broncos play the, play this game with some uh, heightened intensity and with Sean Payton uh, taking some shots and, and being uh, and being wisely aggressive with his play calling and his decision making early in the game and it should make for an intriguing and what could be a high scoring affair between the Broncos and the Detroit Lions coming up on Saturday night you move forward to Sunday with the uh, Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills this is a hard game to call because the Cowboys on paper and obviously via the eye test are a better team than the Buffalo Bills are but the Buffalo Bills, in terms of how they won against Kansas City and the fact that it has, listen, they're not on some great hot winning streak, but they have played better football in a specific form and fashion since they fired <clears throat> Ken Dorsey, at least offensively. And they and there certainly is an opportunity with Kansas City being as weak and being as feeble as they've been, especially this season. It appears and it looks like that the Buffalo Bills have an opportunity where if all they have to do is make the playoffs, and even with the Dolphins, like we discussed earlier in the week, with the Dolphins screwing around with the game against Tennessee, the division's still wide open for the for the Buffalo Bills with them holding tiebreaker over Miami. The opportunity is there for the Buffalo Bills to steal the AFC East from them when it's all said and done and have a home playoff game come wildcard weekend. But... Uh, so if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you're pe- you're you're um, cautiously optimistic with the ceiling that your team has. You won't have to worry about even though the Bengals do hold tiebreaker over you. If you play Cincinnati in the playoffs, you don't have to worry about you know Joe Burrow. That would be a thought that went that would be in the back of my honest. And Jake Browning's played well, but but Cincinnati is certainly not as much of a big of a threat with J with Jake Browning as they are with JB nine. Uh, you know, Kansas City, again, like we've discussed, is is a week of a Kansas City team as we've seen in the Mahomes and Andy Reid era. Really the one team that you have to worry about if you're Buffalo, if you're fortunate enough to make it to the dance and you're one uh and you're one roadblock to getting to Vegas would be in terms of the worrying about the supreme level of superiority and levels of opponents would be the Baltimore Ravens. Miami, you Miami. There is head to head, pound for pound, on the field for sixty minutes. There's good of a football team, and they can beat Miami. You know, in Buffalo, in my, I I like their chances against my uh, Miami, and how they beat them earlier this season, the month of October. Albeit the fact that the Dolphins have nine wins, and the and the uh, Buffalo Bills currently are sitting with a seven and six record. There is every bit as bit as bit as good as Miami especially when Tyreek Hill isn't on the football field. Their offenses look better. They've been able to run the football in splashes effectively. I still would have liked for them to run the football and run the clock out and make Kansas City use their timeouts during their uh, final offensive possession late in the second quarter and, and, and instead of uh, being hell-bent to throw the ball, which ended, up stopping the, which ended up stopping the clock and ended up giving Mahomes more time for uh, Kadarius Tony to line up off sides, but if you're the Buffalo Bills, the opportunity presents itself, and the AFC is as wide open now as it was when the season began in early September. Uh, and the Buffalo Bills also are that wild card where 
they're the team that has their starting quarterback with playoff experience where all they got to do is make the dance and then anything and then anything can happen. You know, it would be apropos for the Buffalo Bills in a year where they didn't have a lot of hype coming into the season and they have a rough season, you know, in September and October, a rough November. They lose a the game to Denver because of the 12 men on the field and Allen's interception problems and everything else. And here's Stephon Diggs and the beef between Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen and everything. And, oh, by the way, here's Sean McDermott inventing more ways to lose games. And then the 9-11, it would be very, very ironic and apropos out of all the seasons the Buffalo Bills find a way to to make the Super Bowl and win it is in this chaotic cluster fuck of a season where there's drama all over the place. They don't have a they don't have a great record. They're not sitting in the driver's seat controlling their own destiny as we creep closer in the as we're in the holiday season in in early now uh mid December and they find a way to make the Super Bowl and win the AFC championship as a potential wild card team as the sixth or the seventh or possibly the five. It would be very ironic and apropos for the Buffalo Bills if that were to happen. And in large part for it to happen is because they have the starting quarterback. Cincinnati, if they made the playoffs, they'd be a live dog too. But Jake Bryant's never played in the football, never started a playoff game in his life. You got to be fair and more, and it would be on the road and not in the confines of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, you know, they, you look at Cleveland. Cleveland would have Cleveland would have Joe Flacco who has playoff experience, but it's been eons since the last time Joe Flacco started a playoff game. Not saying that not saying that the Brown Saints would be any less significant, but he is thirty eight years of age and it has been a long time since he started that playoff game for the Ravens in uh what would that be? The twenty Huh the twenty seventeen no one seventeen it was 2016, they didn't make it, 15, uh, 2014 um, divisional game against Indianapolis. It almost te- Or no, not against Indianapolis, I'm sorry, against um, New England and the game that, that gave birth to the Deflategate rumors. But it's been damn near 10 years since that game. And you take Burrow out of the equation and in a weak Kansas City offense, it's, it's wide open for the taking for Buffalo. Wide open for the taking, um, but they got to be on their p's and q's. Allen's got to turn, not got to stop turning over the football. I understand it's not a game of perfection, and we're all slaves to the to the box score. But the bottom line is, Josh Allen's turnover problems are are part of the primary reason why the Buffalo Bills are sitting at seven and six with their season hanging in the balance. They, he's got to stop turning over the football. Is this is all there's to it? Stop turning over the football. I understand that that the interceptions happen, but it's not necessarily when the interceptions. It's not as, as specifically how the interceptions happen. It's when they happen. You got to be able to take care of the football, especially in the red area, and you got to be able to score and execute and and score touchdowns in the red area. Run the football. Let Josh be Josh. Hopefully he takes care of the football. Your defense, which did a stellar job against Kansas City last week, has a solid game against against the high-flying Cowboys offense. Have the crowd do its best to do its best to uh, wreck havoc and 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 and, and put their imprint imprint excuse me on the game and uh, put the pressure on the Cowboys early. 
Because what a lot of what Dallas has been able to done this season and what's worked at its strength this season is have is them dictating the ebb and flow and the dictating the ebb and flow and the tone of the game. They dictated that with Seattle. They di- they did the same with Philadelphia. They have done that against all the bad teams they've beaten up: the Giants, the Jets, the Patriots. The Rams not a bad team, but at the time that they were, uh, they've been able to set the tone early, right from the get-go in the first quarter. Uh, the Washington on Thanksgiving, they've been able to set the tone and get and and uh, and send the message to their opponents: Hey, this is how the game is going to go right here, right now. And in order for you guys to beat us, you're going to have to beat us how we tell you to beat us. And if the Buffalo Bills go out there and and deliver with the seven, like for instance, if they win the toss, I receive. I win the toss, I receive. I send a message with the crowd on my side. How many? Listen, uh, let me see if I can find it. You tell you send a, you tell a message to your crowd with the crowd on your side. You send a message to them. Send a message. That listen, we're here to play. I understand you ten and three. I understand you in first place. The third favorite, the second team in the NFC to win the NFC and win the Super Bowl. We're, we're playing for our, we're playing for our playoff lives here. You're in our house. We're, I I understand it's on turf, but we're outside in the cold, December in Buffalo in the elements, not in the friendly. Uh, climate controlled confines of Jerry World. You're on. You're on our. You're on our soil. We're going to dictate the way that this game goes, not the other way around. If I'm the Bills, I win the toss. I receive. Send a message. Go right down the field. Put together a crisp drive. Uh, punch it up, Joe Brady. If he hasn't already put the finishing touches on it already, and 75 yards, go up seven nothing, and set the tone of this game early. And make Dak Prescott make the plays that he has made at home this season against Philly, against Seattle, against the bad teams. And let's see Dak Prescott, the MVP candidate that he has been to this point. Let me see MVP Dak make plays and win the game for Dallas on the road in the hostile environment and climate that is uh, uh, Orchard Park, New York. Let me see that. Should be an intriguing game. And I would not be shocked if the Buffalo Bills find a way to beat the Dallas Cowboys and win and win the game by a touchdown. Would not be shocked, not be surprised in the sl- in the slightest. But they gotta go into this game and send a message to Dak and the crew early. And say this. If my soundboard would work, I would play the Bernie Mac thing. But it doesn't want to cooperate, which is just which is just great. That's fine. That's fine. That's it's perfectly perfectly great. Not have the soundboard, uh, not have the soundboard queued up. But anyway, going with that, I ain't scared. I ain't scared of you mentality, and go in there and whoop ass if you're the Buffalo Bills. Uh, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you find a way to put together uh, offense early and consistently. And more importantly, it's not been so much as that their offense has let them down with these back-to-back losses. It's been the it's been their defense. Their defense gave up 
two 300-yard passing performances to the likes of Jake Browning and Joe Flacco. On the on the other aspect that they that they've given up thirty plus points in back to back games. Let me see if it works now. We working? No, it is not. So I have to get dopey uh, soundboard organized. But anyway, they've given up back to back three hundred plus yard passing performances and thirty plus point performances to the Bengals and the Browns, who are starting both backup quarterbacks. That's that's and then they, oh and oh by the way you got Lamar coming to town. That's that's not that's not a good that's not a good sign. And you know that the Ravens are going to be seething and are going to be foaming at the mouth to get back to get their lick back at Jacksonville for stealing and they did st- now they again not stealing in terms of they did nothing they did anything illegal but still in the game is that in the fact that Jacksonville took that game from the Ravens and won that game that Jacksonville had no business had no business winning. Ravens played around with their food. Jacksonville took it. This is back on week 12, I believe, of Thanksgiving weekend last season, which was the beginning of the end for the 2023-2022 Ravens, excuse me, in which all the wheels fell off for them and that in the uh, during during their down the stretch run late in the season last year. The Ravens offense was uh, was very good against the Rams last week. Um, it had its moments where it's faltered, and they got to be able to clean things up. Lamar on the deep ball, hit your wide receivers in stride. Uh, we mentioned the interception where if he hits his receiver in stride downfield, it ends in a touchdown instead of an interception. Uh, defensively, the Ravens got to be able to clean it up uh, with that too. Marlon Humphrey, I understand, come back from the calf strain, but the way that he got torched by uh, Matthew Stafford and his weapons in the wide receiver room during the uh, Rams' final drive, it's going to lose your football games if it becomes if it becomes a uh, a pattern and a habit for you. Uh, but I I like the, the Jaguars sitting at eight and five, Ravens at ten and three. I like the Ravens' chances of winning this football game. I really do. It looks like rain could be in the potential forecast uh, for Baltimore. And if you're Harbaugh, no stupid mistakes and nothing dumb. No, you know, kicking the field goal to put you up six when you need first downs and you need to milk the clock and keep the Chargers on the sideline in this uh, case and scenario dating back to uh, week number 12. Don't, don't, not, nothing stupid. And you know, and no throwing your challenge. In fact, wasting your challenges and wasting your timeouts. Talking about you going to call a timeout anyway, John. If you need to call a timeout, call a timeout and be smart and be logical and be reasonable with them. Because I, I'm telling you something right now. If he doesn't stop, he is going to be the. Re- if you tell me about the Super Bowls, what February 9th? If you tell me less than two months from now that the that the Baltimore Ravens are not Super Bowl champions, but they either went to the Super Bowl. Or got to the conference championship game and fizzled out. I said, I, I my follow up question would be, Harbaugh did something stupid, didn't he? Which again, he's going to be the team's downfall if they don't stop. If they don't stop playing, you know, if they if they don't get off their bull drive. And by they, I mean Harbaugh. They got to be able to stop. Got to be able to uh, to keep Trevor Lawrence off the field. Get off the field on third downs. Uh, make him uh, run and make him scramble outside the pocket and get him off his uh, and, and, and get him off his post and test out that that ankle sprain. But I think this is a game for the Ravens that that they you know that they can win you know twenty seven seventeen somewhere along those lines. 
But um, but I, it's an intriguing game. Sunday night football. The Ravens they're in the driver's seat for the North. They win this game, so they put themselves at eleven and three. Which uh, even if teams like the last place Bengals were able to run the table, they'd still the Ravens would still have the division one because they hold tiebreaker over Cincinnati for a better conference record and better record within the division. Of course, head to head tiebreaker sweeping Cincinnati in the regular season. And then Jacksonville, they need this game to keep the uh, distance between them and uh, the Houston Texans for first place amongst the AFC South. And they also need this game to get some confidence wins in in the month of December. You want to start catching your stride and want to uh, start, and you want to be that team that catches lightning in a bottle, that hot streak, you know, around this time of the season that you can ride throughout the rest of the regular season into the playoffs, and then you blink three times and you're sitting preparing to play in the Super Bowl. You got to be able to get hot around this time of the year or, or it straight up just won't happen for you in the end. But the Jaguars defense is, is the key between winning this game and losing this game for Jacksonville. And if they put together and pitch Jim, I like their chances to beat Baltimore as well as anybody. But their defense is at the lunch. They can't get off the field on third downs. Their red zone defense, you know, leaves a lot less to be desired. They don't force any turnovers. They can't get after the quarterback, which they couldn't vary to a they which they couldn't with uh with Browning and even with Flacco. Let me look at his numbers right quick. Last week in the game against uh, in the game against Cleveland, how many times did Flacco get sacked? Flacco got sacked one time, so they weren't they were unable to get after uh, Browning and Flacco. If you're unable to get after Lamar Jackson, he has you deking and zooming and 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 shucking and jiving up and down the entire field. You have no chance. But uh, should be an intriguing game on Sunday Night Football between the Ravens and the. Charge is the Chargers, the Ravens, and the Jaguars. Jaguars need this game badly. Ravens need this game to uh, to uh, increase their uh, lead for the number one seed in the AFC playoff picture, and the Jaguars need this lead to uh, to provide some stability for their first place lead atop the AFC South. I ain't scared of you, motherfuckers. All right, so. It's working, which is good. It's working. Soundboard back up and running just in time for the pick segment. Just before we tell you about the Eagles and the Seahawks. This is a game that could low-key be a very, very, very exciting football game. Both teams are in... There's not a lot of optimism around both teams' fan bases, but for different reasons. For the Seattle side, it's a little bit more easier, and it's a little bit more vanilla as to why. They're currently sitting with a 6-7 and seven record in the uh, and are on the outside looking in in the NFC playoff picture right now. The Seahawks got their teeth kicked in by the L.A. Rams and uh, took a uh, and have just taken nu- and took a hard loss to the Dallas Cowboys. The game before that, forty-five thirty-one, they have lost one, two, 
three, four games in a row. They've lost five out of the last six, if you want to include their blowout loss to the Ravens on November the 5th. It has not been a fun time for the Seattle Seahawks since the calendar flipped in November. They're currently six and seven. They're not even in second place in the West no more. They're in third place behind the Rams that hold a head-to-head tiebreaker over them. In terms of where they stand in the wildcard race, the Seahawks are the ninth team, two teams out in the NFC with the six and seven record, one game back of the Green Bay Packers, who are currently sitting at six and seven, and two games back of the Vikings, who are currently the sixth seed at seven and six. Um, it's just it's not been a good time. Their run game has not been what it should be up to it has not been up to standards for them. Uh, the passing game outside of DK Metcalf's great game against Dallas, his performances have been small, have been minimal, and his production level has been few and far in between. Uh, the defense can't stop anybody uh, for four quarters. It's, it's, everything has gone wrong for the Seattle Seahawks in the better part of the last month and a half. And it gets no easier when they have the defending NFC East champion and the defending NFC champion coming to their building for Monday night football. And everything is not all sugar and spice for every and everything nice for the Philadelphia Eagles on their account, considering the fact they've gotten punched in the face back-to-back games with blowout losses to, to San Francisco and most recently Dallas. Now, and I saw a video when I woke up this morning, that, uh, that the Eagles held a players-only meeting this week centered around uh, Jalen Hurts and his uh, frequent ability to put the ball on the ground with his fumbles. And then you see video, and I saw a video this morning of Jalen Hurts basically going through drills in practice on how, on when he gets hit, how to fall down to the ground and protect the football. Basically doing some of the most unique ball security drills I've ever seen in my life. Him basically doing up-downs, practicing on how to hold on to the football while falling down to the ground, something I've never something I've never seen before, and you can and you, there's video of him, you know, shake of of him uh, subduedly shaking his head after I guess finishing a certain uh, finishing a certain rep. AJ Brown allegedly uh, approached Nick Sirianni, expressing his frustration with Jalen Hurts. He's talking crap and. And, uh, and 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 giving and uh, and uh, and getting in Jalen Hurts's grits about him not getting the football enough and uh, and his lack of recent production over the last uh, handful of games and so it is not a good time and it is not sunny in Philadelphia right now and they currently the way things are sitting right now they can ill afford for that to happen of all times in the season for the team that basically be in a free fall it would be now on on the second to last or excuse me the third to last weekend in the month of uh, in the month of December nursing a 10 and 3 record still trying to fight off San Francisco for the one seed and and trying to prohibit Dallas from holding on to the first place lead atop the NF, atop the NFC it's got to tell you something right now if the Cowboys beat the Bills on Sunday and the Eagles somehow lose to Seattle on the road the division's finished they might as well they might as well just accept the fact that they're going to go that they're going to have to make another trip down to down to Tampa the way it looks right now for wild card weekend and they're gonna have to find a way to, to get back to an NFC championship game and get back to the Super Bowl as a wild card team because if they somehow lose they have nothing but sub 500 opponents from here on out the Seahawks the Giants twice and the Cardinals 
if they lose any game from there on out, they can kiss the division to goodbye. Even with Dallas having to play Buffalo, Miami on the road, uh, those two AFC East opponents on the road throw in uh, throwing Detroit at home. They can kiss the they can kiss the division goodbye. They can, they can kiss the division goodbye with with Dallas being ten and three. If the Eagles lose a fourth loss, they can kiss the one seed goodbye, and more likely than not, they can they can uh, they can hand the NFC championship the NFC East championship banner to Philadelphia to uh, Dallas rather. If they lose to Seattle, especially on Monday night, they just they 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 can ill afford to. And it looks like it could be rain possibly in the forecast. They can't lose this game. They can, which I think gives Seattle a good chance to win because of all of the negative energy and the potential turmoil and inner drama that's going on within the Eagles locker room, with, within the Eagles football team on the offensive side of football, especially. It gives Seattle a good chance to win. Like, hey, if we our backs were to the wall and we went ball to ball against Dallas, we got to have that same mentality and play with that same level of high energy and intensive and intensity, especially on the offensive side of the football for this game here here tonight. We're home, a Monday night football. Give it everything we got. Leave nothing. Leave nothing on the table, and 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 find a way to get the seven and seven and keep our and keep our season alive. And I think and I have a, a funny feeling that Seattle. Even if the Eagles win, Seattle, like they do it in the Cowboys game, could make the Eagles play a full 60-minute game and make them work for every last down uh, as, the, as the night progresses and the game moves along. Uh, it's, just, it's just a funny, funny feeling that, 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 I, that I have. And this has the potential to be a, and I told you after the after their loss against Dallas, that's why they flexed this game into, into Monday night. The defending NFC, uh, the defending NFC champions with that environment in Seattle and Seattle being a fringe playoff team that has some names on that you like to watch, DK Metcalf being one of them. It could make it could make for a sneaky, uh, intriguing, and exciting football game. But the Seattle Seahawks got to be on their P's and Q's offensively. Got to execute in third down. Red zone, which has been a killer, an absolute killer for them offensively. And the red zone defense has been a killer for the Eagles. On the flip side, they got to be able to execute in the red area. You execute in the red area, I like their chances of winning of, of winning this football game tremendously. But if they settle for field goals instead of scoring touchdowns, and the Eagles, def- and the Eagles offense is... Somewhat competent. I don't like Seattle's chances, uh, you know, to walk out of this game on Monday night, the 18th, with a with a with a victory. I just don't. Uh, but Philadelphia, whatever turmoil, whatever beef, whatever whatever disconnect is going on within the locker room, it's best that they squash it. And they got a five hour flight in order to squash it. Because if they go in there and they fought around offensively and they allow that young Seattle Seahawks defense to fly around and make plays, it could end up being an uphill climb for Seattle, especially if they, or excuse me, for Philadelphia, especially if they allow that crowd that's going that's going to be full of energy, that's going to uh, you know give it everything they have in terms of crowd noise and and giving Seattle as much of an added boost as they possibly can. And knowing that that the Eagles aren't as good as San Francisco, so I, so I a team that always that always kicks their tail, Seattle's that is. And on the flip side, with uh, with the Eagles, who who I learned throughout the sequence of this week, the Eagles have not beaten the Seattle Seahawks in about fifteen years or so. And within the last five years, they've had trouble against against 
Seattle, especially in that building, you want to take the Eagles out of the out of that game as quickly and as swiftly as you, with no pun intended as you possibly can. But uh, should be an intriguing game. Uh, I would like to know the see the injury report, see what if how Geno Smith's status is. We'll go through the injury reports. We get to the pick segment here in a minute. But uh, if you if you're the Seattle Seahawks, this is a game you gotta give it everything you have. Leave nothing left on the table. Geno's listed as questionable as of uh, as of on Friday, but. Without further ado, and we mentioned it and we teased it, and now it is time. Week 15 in the National Football League. Hard to believe. You got three games on Saturday, a slate to be had on Sunday, and of course you have Monday night football with the aforementioned game between the Eagles and the Seattle Seahawks. Week number 15 in the National Football League. In the league where they play. For pay. We begin with game number one. My Cincinnati Bengals playing host to the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings and Bengals both 7-6. Vikings coming off of their 3-0 pitcher's duel victory over the Vegas Raiders last Sunday. Meanwhile, my Cincinnati Bengals 7-6 did a good job of beating the uh, Indianapolis Colts, beating them by 20-34-14 last week. Should be an enticing football game. Cincinnati's favored uh, by three points. In terms, there's no injuries of significance to report on the Cincinnati side. However, for Minnesota, they have uh, they have Alexander Madison and Brian O'Neill listed as out. Justin Jefferson who dealt with a chest injury had to come out of the game for uh, Minnesota against the Vikings against uh, the Raiders last week. He's listed as questionable. Should be a tight football game. Uh, I think oddly low scoring. Give me the Vikings to win this game by the final score of 22-17. The Indianapolis Colts head to Indy to take on the to take on the Colts. Colts aforementioned uh, last week against my Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, lost to the uh, lost to my Cincinnati Bengals on the road last week. They move ahead and play the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have had about 10 days to uh, think and process and go to their room and uh, like the old, uh, you know, when your parents would send you to your room, they've had plenty of opportunity and plenty of time to think about and ponder their two disgusting performances back to back at home against the two and ten Cardinals and the then two and ten New England Patriots. Uh, they've had nine days to think about it. They're seven and six to take on the Colts, who are also seven and six and fighting for playoff seating amongst the AFC amongst the AFC competition. Indianapolis is favored minus a point and a half. Give me the Colts and Gardner Minshew to hop right back on track and prove the eight and six. Winning this game by the final score of 27-17. The Denver Broncos are 7-6 coming off of their win last week against Brandon Staley's disgusting uh, LA Chargers 24-7 on Sunday, December the 10th. 
they hit the road to take on Jared Goff and the 9-4 Detroit Lions. The Lions last time out took the L in Chicago, losing to the Chicago Bears 28-13. The Detroit Lions do not play another game outdoors for the remainder of their season. Their remaining games are at home and in, and in the climate-controlled confines of AT&T Stadium and U.S. Bank Stadium when they play the Vikings on Christmas Eve. They're four-and-a-half-point favorites, a game that they have to have that should be arguably what could be the game of week number 14. They have Josh Reynolds, Benito Jones, Taylor Decker listed on the entry report, the lines that is as questionable. P.J. Locke listed as questionable for dinner with Nick Benito listed as out for the Denver Broncos. Detroit Lions are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me the Lions to win this game by the final score of 31-28. As we move to Sunday's action, the Jets are 5-8. They take on the 9-4 Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins have had plenty of time to think about their uh, their uh, horrific deeds. That was a Monday Night Football earlier this week, losing and blowing a two-touchdown lead at home to the then 5-8 Tennessee Titans, excuse me, the then 4-8 Tennessee Titans as they look to get off the schneid and get their 10th victory of the season as 9.5 point favorites against Zach Wilson, the Jets, who were able to pull off the upset against the Houston Texans at home again in a uh, wet and uh, nasty uh, MetLife, MetLife Stadium at the Meadowlands in Jersey last week. Give me the Miami Dolphins to win this game by the final score of 31-2-14. The Houston Texans are 7-6 coming off of that aforementioned loss at the hands of the New York Jets. They head to Tennessee to take on the Titans who are 5-8 who got the job done against the aforementioned Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football. The Titans are 3.5 point favorites in terms of where the injury report stands with C.J. Stroud, I can tell you just right here, give me a couple seconds. C.J. Stroud listed as doubtful in concussion protocol, uh, which explains why the Titans are favored by a field goal to win this game. Give me the Titans to win. Final score, 28-13. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 6-7. The Green Bay Packers are 6-7. Buccaneers comeback victory on the road against the Atlanta Falcons last week. Green Bay lost the Monday Night Football game that could haunt them if they, for whatever the reason, do not find themselves playing uh, the second uh, weekend of January 2024. Green Bay's three-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love to bounce back and prove the 7-7 with a 24-17 lead. The Giants taking on the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are 6-7. The Giants with their Monday Night Victoro victory with Tommy DeVito are 5-8. The Saints are 5.5-point favorites. Give me, this, give me the Giants to pull the upset and win the game by the final score of 26-20. The Atlanta Falcons are 6-7. Got handed their seventh loss thanks to the magic of Baker Mayfield late in the fourth quarter. They take on the hapless 1-12 Carolina Panthers. Their three-point favorites give me the Atlanta Falcons to win this game by a final score of 23-20. The Chicago Bears head to Cleveland to take on Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns. 
Browns got the job done in a renaissance game for Joe Flacco against the Jacksonville Jaguars at home last Sunday. Meanwhile, the Chicago Bears get their fifth win of the season last week against the Detroit Lions. Cleveland's favored by a field goal. Joe Flacco named a starting quarterback earlier this week for the remainder of the season for the Cleveland Brownies. Give me the Browns to get their ninth win of the season with a victory by the final score of 28-2-3. The Kansas City Chiefs are 8-5 coming off of their bitch fest after they lost at the hands of the Buffalo Bills and Canarias. Tony last week taking on the 3-10 New England Patriots coming off of their victory on Thursday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kansas City's eight-point favorites. Give me Kansas City bounce back and win this game by the final score of 31-2-10. The San Francisco 49ers are 10-3, taking on the 3-10 Arizona Cardinals. The 49ers are 12-point favorites coming off of their victory at home against the Seattle Seahawks. Meanwhile, Arizona coming off of their bye week last week. Their performance in week number 13 was as follows. The Arizona Cardinals won and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, beat them by two touchdowns. That aforementioned game we've discussed for the last week plus, 24-10 over the Steelers on the road. Give me the San Francisco 49ers to take care of business, win this game by the final score, 42-10. The Washington Commanders, they also were on the bye week last time out for them. They took the L at the hands of the Miami Dolphins at home. They fly west to take on Sean McVay and the Rams coming off of a heartbreaking overtime victory against the Baltimore Ravens of I-95. They're 6-7, six and seven, six and a half point favorites. Give me the L.A. Rams to win this football game by the final score of 28-13. The Dallas Cowboys are 10-3, taking on the 7-6 Buffalo Bills. Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of their victory in Arrowhead against the Kansas City Chiefs. Meanwhile, Dallas is sitting pretty at 10-3 as the two-seed in first place for now atop the NFC East. Give me the Buffalo Bills to pull the win at home and beat the Cowboys. Final score, 27-24, Buffalo. The Jacksonville Jaguars host the 10-3 Baltimore Ravens. Jacksonville's 8-5, took the L with a hobbled Trevor Lawrence, although he didn't show it. His play served certainly to start showed otherwise in a game that they struggled offensively. Defense has been a sieve last two games. Got to step up against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens in a game of this magnitude. They're three and a half point favorites going up against the Ravens who got the job done in overtime against the Rams last week. Kyle Hamilton on the injury report for Baltimore listed as questionable. Trey Henderson and Brenton Strange and Ross Maystick, their long snapper, listed as questionable with Andre Sisco and Tyson Campbell, two guys in their secondary, their safety in their corner, listed as out for Jacksonville for this game on Sunday Night Football. I'm uh, looking to see uh, Jacksonville put a little bit of more high, heightened intensity, heightened energy to start. Uh, also, you know the Ravens is going to stick in their crawl the last time they were down there. Thanksgiving weekend, they blew the game week 12, which propelled Jacksonville to win the AFC South 
last football season. But give me the Baltimore Ravens or three and a half point favorites to win this game by the final score of 27 to 17 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. And on Monday Night Football, you've got the 10 and 3 Philadelphia Eagles taking on the 6 and 7 Seahawks. Seahawks coming off of their loss last week on the road against San Francisco 49ers. And the Eagles coming off of their loss back to back on the road against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Cam Jurgens, Reed Blankenship, Darius Slay, Zach Cunningham listed as questionable for Philadelphia. Meanwhile, for Seattle, they have Daryl Taylor, Jordan Brooks, uh, D. Eskridge, uh, Geno Smith, and Jamal Adams, their safety, listed as questionable for the CLC Oaks on their injury report. Uh, looks like they're all scheduled to come off of the injury report in time for Monday night, but things can certainly change over the weekend. If Philly is favored by a field goal in this game. I will pick Philly to win this game by a field goal. Final score, 34-31. Philadelphia. And that is your week 14. No, week 15. Week 15 picks against the spread. And that is another episode of the Amatelic podcast in the books. If like you heard, new to the program, please don't hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter, Instagram, Threads the Works at the J Shield. Enjoy the football all weekend long, and we'll be back to recap it all for you on Tuesday. Be blessed, be safe, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, take care. Yeah.